Hello, hello, welcome back to another episode of The Casual Criminalist. As always, hello there, I am your host, your casual criminalist. We threw casual in the title because criminalist would imply that I actually have any idea what I'm doing. I just read scripts. That's kind of my thing. That's my job. I cold read. I've never read this before. What happens? Callum, a wonderful scriptwriter, has written me the script on Michael Fagan, the Buckingham Palace Prowler. However, I have to say, I am vaguely aware of this. Isn't this a dude who just, re he like two or three times just broke into Buckingham Palace and was just going through the royal families and the queen's <laughs> I think. I don't think he killed anyone. He was just a bit of a weirdo. And he managed to get do it like several times, which is quite amazing. I think I made a video on him on one of my other channels where he came up somewhere at some point. But today, obviously, this is the Casual Criminalist. We're going to go way deeper into it. Thank you, Callum, for putting it together. I'm going to read it. Jen, afterwards... Our wonderful video editor is going to add in some memes, some sounds, some... She's, uh, the soundscapes. One of my favorite things about listening to this show afterwards, because, you know, I want to make sure it's good, is I just love the, the music. Like, I love the kind of background stuff that goes on. It's like, oh, I like that. I like that. It builds the atmosphere for me. I'm a fan of my own show. Is that weird? I feel like, you know, it's not really my show. I just sit here and read it. Callum and Jen really do the hard work. <laughs> just show up and read a script. <laughs> Let's do it. As a somewhat bigoted Scot of the independence persuasion, one thing I can't wrap my head around is you su your Southerners' love of the bloody royals. Wait, is Callum Scottish? How am I just learning this now? I, I don't know where- Callum lives in Japan of all places. So, yeah, I just realized I don't know why Callum lives in Japan or how. I didn't know Callum was Scottish. It's kind of amazing. The internet's amazing. I don't even remember where I found Callum. <laughs> But uh, apparently, Callum is Scottish. We just learned that. And also, I have to say, like, I don't know, after Brexit, I'm like, yeah, Scottish independence seems inevitable and right. If I was Scottish, I would want this. I'd want to be independent. And now after Brexit, I'm like, hell yeah. Sorry. Hell yeah. It's a terrible Scottish. How does a Scottish person talk? How does a Scottish? Sean Connery, Scottish person. I always try to think of people who have accents when I try and do an accent. It's probably why they're so shit. It's probably a terrible technique that is... Not very good at all. Always throwing the parade, singing about them, talking about their babies, collecting little cups and teaspoons with their faces on them. You lot are obsessed. Yeah, I love making fun of the cups and plates. That every time there's like a royal wedding or something, they make like special plates and cups. These, you know, these big companies. And a friend of mine used to run a china shop. Like, uh, they would sell all types of china, like thousands of different things of china. And it'd always be sending me the latest, not literally the products, but it'd send me like, hey, check out this new royal plate that people are buying. And I'll be like, that's shit. And it'd be like, I know, isn't it? <laughs> people buy it though. And so naturally, you'd expect quite a lot of time and money has been put into protecting those beloved blue bloods from harm, right? Well, wrong. As it turns out, this was once very far from the case, as proven by one infamous incident from the summer of 1982. It was then, against a backdrop of mounting civil unrest, that Buckingham Palace suffered one of the biggest security breaches in modern history, history which could have put the head of the British Empire's very life in danger. Oh, no! <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I don't know. I'm a bit of a Republican, to be honest. Like, I don't care about the royal family. People are always talking. There's just why is it such a conversation? And also, I feel uh, Americans might you, you you might even be more obsessed with our royal family than we are. Like, uh, they're always coming up. Like, there was that Oprah interview, and it's like, oh my god! Turns out the royal family they're all old and a little bit racist. It's like surprise. <laughs> I mean, I don't like it. It's just like, what did you expect? They're super old. This is the story of how one man with nothing but his wits and a touch of drugged up derangement managed to break into one of the most sacred places in England, Her Royal Highness's bedchamber. A rude awakening. Now, after indulging in a bit of light stereotyping in the intro, I should add that I've got nothing against Her Majesty personally. The old bird has been through a hell of a lot of her in her tenure as our undisputed God Empress. <laughs> Almost 70, detecting a bit of sarcasm there, Callum. Almost 70 full years of wars, political upheaval, and very public family issues. We're looking at you, Prince Andrew. Oh my god, I can't believe I didn't know this. I feel like the worst British person ever. But I knew about the Epstein and, like, the Prince Andrew scandal, you know, allegedly, alleged, alleged, <laughs> whatever allegedly's I need to use. And I knew about this scandal and all this stuff. And I was like, man, this Prince Andrew guy, 
He seems a bit rotten, doesn't he, allegedly? I didn't realize he was the queen's son. I was like, I just assumed he was like, you know, one of those royals who you're like, who are they? Like Princess Beatrice. No idea who she really is. Isn't she must be like someone's cousin or something like that. You know, no one really cares unless she gets married. Prince Andrew's a f***ing son. <laughs> and he was up to that, allegedly that Jeffrey Epstein Like, oh my God. Like people were accusing him of being like a people smuggler or like a, a sex criminal smuggler or whatever you want to call it. Not me. I would never accuse him of that, but people were allegedly doing that. Oh my God, you gotta, you know, you gotta be careful around this thing. The royal family, powerful. You know, whatever you want to say, they're powerful, they have a lot of money. Even when compared to, so I was amazed, I felt like a terrible British person not knowing that Prince Andrew was the Queen's son, which is intense. Like, that's our future King's brother. That's our future, future King's uncle. Oh my God. <laughs> Even when compared to all that, what happened at 7.15am on July the 9th, 1982 would undoubtedly prove one of the strangest and most unsettling episodes in her reign. I disagree. I think finding out her son was hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein, sex criminal, was probably more unsettling than the guy breaking into her bedchamber when... Was she there? I don't remember. We're gonna find out. Callum's gonna tell us the story. Man, this is a wild ride so far. Our most likely immortal head of state had just turned 56 at the time, well into what would be one of the toughest eras of her reign. It was a summer morning, much like any other. The security guard posted to Her Majesty's door had clocked off, as usual, at 6am, while one of her top footmen took, over, took the corgis out for a walk, and an overworked maid was cleaning out some of the 240 bedrooms. Wow. The queen herself was sitting up in bed, mulling over what to do this day. Maybe I'll have my just a dance for scraps of meat. Maybe I'll bomb some more of those pestiagis. <laughs> Her queenly musings were rudely interrupted by the creak creaking of door hinges. Her majesty snapped to attention, her view of the door obscured by a velvet curtain drawn around her bed, which seconds later was dragged to the side to reveal some guy some guy standing there without any shoes and blood dripping from one hand in that same hand was a shiv made of glass queenie froze and then exclaimed in the poshest voice to Medrall, what are you doing here <laughs> i can't believe this actually happens can you imagine like i imagine like the american head of state like the president it's like the idea that you could get anywhere close to that dude although several of them have been assassinated um i'm sure kings have been assassinated and stuff in british history i can't name any of them because i don't know we don't study it and i don't care um but it's like that they this like the secret service the guy basically rolls around in a bomb-proof cage the beast that car made a video about it on one of my channels wild they keep his blood in the boot in case he needs like an emergency blood transfusion crazy i mean allegedly it's all like this is what we speculate in there maybe this information's been released but it's not been confirmed or denied but that's so cool the palace prowler origins so what was he doing there who was this wild-eyed maniac that now had one of the most powerful people in the world at his mercy well i really meant it when i described him as just some guy he wasn't some kgb agent or an ira hitman Far from it. His name was Michael Fagan, and he was an out-of-work painter decorator from Islington in London. The oldest child of a working-class family, the 30-year-old was a father of four, recently separated from his wife. Frustrated and at a loss, had taken to wandering around the streets of the capital at night with a can of lager in hand, searching for a sense of purpose. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's where I find my purpose. Wandering around London, getting drunk in the street. <laughs> a bobby comes up. What are you doing out here? Looking for purpose, my friends looking for purpose please don't arrest me <laughs> one such night he just happened to wander down to the city of westminster past the residence of the windsor family it was still early in the morning and the area around buckingham palace was empty it would be several hours yet before the crowds of tourists arrived to prod those guards in the big daft hats michael had the street all to himself by the way those guys in the hats uh the queen's guard i think they're called is that right? Oh my god, I sometimes I'm such a terrible British person. I really am. Uh the Queen's guards, they they don't have to like remain perfectly still. They could like totally leave or tell you to do stuff or whatever. Um they don't have to be perfectly still. They generally are, but they can um they can leave. Like there's a there's a video of some woman going up and like making faces and the guy just fully snaps to attention and just wanders off somewhere else. <laughs> it's like, okay. Don't be dicks to the Queen guards. Queen's guards. He looked up at the splendor of the sprawling palace in the early light of dawn, all 775 rooms of great British glory, and a bold notion came to him. 
bet I could climb that. Moments later, he was clambering over the wrought iron perimeter fence, completely unseen. He climbed up 14 feet to the top of the fence, heaved himself over the barbed wire on top, and swaggered across the palace lawn with the strength and bravado that only cheap Tesco lager could give. He then scrambled over 70 feet up a drain pipe to an open window on the upper floors. Unfortunately, said window led to the bedroom of a chambermaid who screamed as she saw his charming face pop up over a windowsill. Thinking on his feet, Fagin scrambled through the window while the maid ran for help and found a hiding spot in one of the rooms adjacent. By the time they arrived, our man was successfully concealed and the chambermaid, like a video game NPC with terrible AI, declared, hmm, I must have been imagining things. Oh my god, it does sound like one of those old James Bond games. I love those like original PlayStation James Bond games, you know, not Goldeneye, but like uh, whatever came after that, like slightly later than that, and you'd be playing the missions. And it'd be like, you'd be like blasting away, you'd kill like 50 guards, and then you'd be quiet for a little bit and hide behind like at a wall. And it'd be like, I guess I was imagining things. And carrying on, it's like, what, imagining 50 of your friends die, mate? <laughs> it's like, okay. The police chalked her sighting up to an over-active imagination on account of the fact that she had attended a seance several nights before. <laughs> As I often feel compelled to say, I'm not making this up. <laughs> what are you up to, chambermaid? Why are you going to a seance? Is this things? Is this something people actually do? I know they do, but is it? Is it, like, come on, let's not do that. By the way, I'll use this opportunity to plug another show that I do called Decoding the Unknown, which is uh, basically where I make tons of fun out of all that sort of stuff. Decoding the Unknown. It's on uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, also YouTube. And uh, what have we discussed? We've discussed so many things. Whenever it's like ghosts or aliens or you know conspiracy theories that are i mean obviously some conspiracy theories are true most aren't and we look at the ones which are most ridiculous it's a fun show it's like this similar format afterwards fagin in his jeans and lager stained sweatshirt was able to wander through the palace unrestricted he'd later tell a courtroom i walked straight in i was surprised i wasn't captured straight away i could have been a rapist or something i knew i could break the security system because it was so weak the amazing thing was he was right. Fagin was able to swagger around the halls with impunity, right into some of the most sensitive areas of the palace. After a few minutes of wandering around the literal home of the British royal family, he happened across a corridor with the names of royal princes and princesses on the door. <laughs> Prince Andrew's room. Don't go in there. It's nasty. Allegedly. And for a placement to house royalty, it was pretty underwhelming. Fagin said the palace was very ordinary, with dusty decorations and squeaky floorboards. I don't think they spent too much on decoration. Bit embarrassing for the Queen that an un unemployed bloke from Islington thought her house was a bit sh**. Ah, it's so true. That's it's like she'll be in court have that stricken from the record your honor as he wandered past the bedrooms of some of the most powerful royals in britain and i'll tell you if i know who they are princess anne no prince charles yes princess diana wait oh this is 1982 of course we're back in the day we're back back in the day um so yeah it'd be natural i don't know these people i do know princess diana though yes apparently royal couples sleep in separate bedrooms <laughs> at least charles and diana did that's for shizzle he started to wonder how the hell he had been caught how he, hell he hadn't been caught yet. No alarms, no cameras, no armed bodyguards. You'd come up against stronger security at the average council estate. But for the moment, he had bigger concerns than that. I found rooms saying Diana's room, Charles's room. They all had names on them, but I couldn't find a door which said WC. All those bedrooms, but no toilet in sight. And old Mikey had been hitting the lager pretty heavily all night. The situation was getting urgent. Not wanting to sully the palace by pissing on the dusty old floor, he searched around frantically for a discreet, discreet and dignified place to relieve himself. He failed. Surely there's it's the it's Buckingham Palace, aren't there gonna be vases filled with like vases? 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 Vases. I'm from the south. It's vases. Uh, there's going to be like vases filled with like fancy flowers and shit. Can't you just piss in one of those? I would. All I found were some bins with corgi food written on them. This is like, <laughs> it's almost like if you were writing a fictional account of Buckingham Palace. I was breaking my neck to go to the toilet. What do I do? Pee on the carpet? So I had to pee in the corgi food. Surely that's got to be some kind of treason. Eh? These dogs must have had some kind of noble title or something that makes it illegal to piss on their breakfast. And I love the way he makes it sound like the only reasonable, logical decision to eat. I couldn't find the toilet, so I had to piss in the dog food. That's the kind of logic that only makes sense to the most hammered guy at the house party. Yeah, and it'd be defending it. You know that, dude. Everyone knows him. And he'd be pissing in the dog food. He'd be like, no, I had to. What other choice did I have? What other choice? Come on. And everyone's like, mate, you had loads of choice. There were plenty of options. It's like, I had a friend. We went, to, we went to Chernobyl. 
We were at, and we were taking a tour around that town next to Chernobyl, and he had to take a. And we just don't see him in the tour group for like a good 20 minutes. And I mean, this is a tour group where they're like very specifically stay on the path, don't wander off the path. There's pockets of radiation, and my mate just goes off and he takes a in the woods. It's like, dude. You couldn't have hold it. There was no other option. He was like, man, I think we just ate something bad last night. None of us were, none of us had any other troubles. I just think he wanted to take a shit in the woods at Chernobyl, to be honest. Why are we saying this? I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's also not necessarily that guy. He's not that classic guy. But this is, that was his story that made him that guy. Well, that was a tangent. Anyway, after dealing with his most media problem, Fagan turned his mind to what to do next. He didn't want to disturb any slumbering royals, but he was curious to have a peek behind some of these doors. Picking one of them for a look, he wandered into the office of the royal secretary, where a large pile of gifts sat on, sat on top of the desk. As it turned out, it had broken in just two weeks before the birth of future King of England, Prince William. For our non-British listeners, that's the taller, gawkier one, not the ginger one with the film star one. <laughs> yeah. Among the gifts for the baby boy and his parents was a bottle of wine for dad-to-be Prince Charles. With the adrenaline starting to dull his buzz, Michael thought to himself, I'll have that. I bet it was nice wine as well. I don't think Prince Charles gets sent much not nice wine. He searched around for a corkscrew, but to no avail, so he just pushed the cork inside and swigged straight from the bottle. Ah, it's probably like thousands of pounds worth of wine. To his disappointments, their taste in wine was as poor as their taste in decor. It was a cheap Californian, he later told the Independent. Oh, bullshit. I just... This guy's, like, playing it up because it makes a good story, right? <laughs> no one sends Prince Charles cheap Californian wine. Bottle in hand, Lord Mike, the mad lad, continued his adventure into what he called the throne a throne room with three gilded chairs laid out in a row in front of him. So he did what every one of us would do in that situation. I sat on the thrones like Goldilocks, and the three bears sat on a literal throne, perusing millions of pounds worth of royal art hanging on the walls, sipping on cheap wine, and munching on tidbits from the royal cheese stash. The intruder started to think, right. This get a bit silly now. Imagine waltzing through the White House in the early morning, drinking Ronald Reagan's vodka and playing around with a big red button on his desk. It just wouldn't happen. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mate, I would just like go go out the way I came in and maybe come back another night and enjoy some more. People would be like, did someone drink this wine? Secretary, did you drink the wine? He's like, no, I know where the bottle thing is. I wouldn't have pushed it in. I drank the wine because I was waiting for someone to come. I couldn't find anyone. Sod it. And I went out and went home. No. He actually met... I don't remember. Like, I'm vaguely familiar with the story, as I said at the beginning. I'm uh, covering it somewhere else at some point. But, wait, I can't believe he just actually managed to leave. I thought he must have got arrested, did some time, and then came back and did it again later. He was actively trying to hand himself over, but even then, he couldn't find anyone to report himself to. So, several hours into his illegal adventure in the royal palace, a bemused Fagan just retraced his steps back to the open window, slid down the drain pipe, hopped back over the fence, and went home to rest. You'd wake up and be like, did that really happen last night? How drunk was I? Did I break into Buckingham Palace and drink Prince Charles's wine? Holy shit. I can't believe I can never tell anyone about this because, obviously, the first rule of casual criminalist is you do not talk about your crimes. Okay. Actually, the first rule is don't write down your crimes, but close second is uh, don't tell other people about your crimes. He had come from and gone from the palace completely unhindered. The only sign of his visit was an empty bottle of wine left on the corridor floor. I'm assuming one of the serfs got a few lashings for that. What you'll no doubt have noticed, though, is that on his visit, he never met the queen. Where was the part of the story was the with the glass shiv and the blood? Well, that dramatic little episode is still coming up. See, either Michael Fagan had maxed out his stealth stats, or the security at Buckingham Palace in the 1980s was among the absolute worst in the world because he was actually able to make it back inside multiple times. It's actually incredible. That little wine and cheese party I just described was only the first of two entries, and if it left to that, nobody would have ever known anything of it. The name of Michael Fagan would be absent from the history books, and it would have spent the rest of his days desperately trying to convince story people of his wild story down the pub. This sounds like it's like one of those Bill Murray things that you hear about. Apparently, Bill Murray just would go up to people in, I feel like it was Central Park, just behind them. Cover their eyes. Like, you know, like, just go up behind people. Random, random stranger in Central Park. Cover their eyes from behind. And the person would be like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? You turn around, it's Bill Murray. And uh, all Bill Murray will say, no one's ever going to believe you. And <laughs> just walk off. And I'll be like, Bill Murray, that's kind of creepy, but also, f 
fucking legend. But as things turned out, he wasn't able to stay away, and his story would soon be plastered on the front page of every newspaper in the land. Yeah, why would you? If you all got away with it twice, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just gonna cruise along for a third time, especially when you're kind of trying to get caught. You'd be like, I might as well just push it to the max. Why not? Is there really gonna be that much trouble? I mean, sure, breaking and entering. You're not gonna go to prison for a very long time. Although, wait, he's got a bloody shiv of in his hand, so maybe that's gonna lead to more time in jail. If I remember it rightly, though, he doesn't go away for very long, if at all. Maybe I'm wrong on that. It's been a while. Spoiler alert. Simon, how about you don't ruin the video for everyone else just as you try and remember what happened? Now, just before we continue with today's episode, a quick word from one of our fantastic sponsors, Simply Safe. If you've ever wanted to make your home feel safer, well, there's no better time than now. Not just because of the deal that Simply Safe has, but also because you're listening to a true crime podcast. And you're probably aware that there are criminals out there. <laughs> this week, our friends at Simply Safe are giving our listeners, my listeners, Early access to their Black Friday deals, 50% off their award winning home security. We love Simply Safe because it has everything you need to make your home safe. Indoor and outdoor cameras, comprehensive sensors, all monitored around the clock by trained professionals who help you the instant you need it, which uh, that's got to make you feel very safe, right? Simply Safe has been named the best home security system of 2021 by US News and World Report. That's also going to make you feel safe. Customize a system for your home in minutes. Get free custom recommendations from Simply Safe. These are Simply Safe's biggest discounts of the year, by the way. You can get a complete home security system starting at how much? Just over $100. What a deal. There are no long-term commitments or contracts. It's a really easy way to start feeling a bit more peace of mind. Take advantage of Simply Safe's early Black Friday deals and get 50% off your new home security system by visiting simplysafe.com/casual. Again, that's simplysafe.com/casual for 50% off your entire system. And now back to today's episode. A royal appointment. That first break-in I just described happened on June the 7th, 1982, and it signaled the start of a very busy summer for Fagan. Just three days after chugging down cheap royal wine at the palace, he continued on with his complete mental breakdown in spectacular fashion. He nicked a car in Islington in an attempt to drive up to Stonehenge and track down his estranged wife. I hope because she lives somewhere near Stonehenge rather than like he's just going to go to Stonehenge it's going to give him some answers, you know, the mystical stones. His mission was unsuccessful and it only landed him a spot in Brixton Jail for the next three weeks, quite the contrast to a royal palace I'll bet. While on the inside, Fagan cast his mind back to the palace and he started to wonder what other discoveries might lie behind all those hundreds of closed doors. What else might he be able to get away with? In his own words, I went back because I thought, that's naughty, that's naughty that I can walk around there. Very naughty indeed, Michael. Call it curiosity, call it a full-blown mental unwinding, call it whatever you want. Whatever the case, Michael Fagan was dead set on getting into the palace again. And so, when his family came to pick him up, a free man on bail from Brixton Jail, he set his mind on returning. When his family came to pick him up at the prison gates and asked what he wanted to do with his freedom after three weeks locked up, he told them he was going to visit his girlfriend, Elizabeth Regina. Regina is, I don't know why, but it's what we call the Queen. Like, uh, so in all British legal cases, it's, you know, it would be so-and-so and or V versus, like, but said and, and R. R stands for Regina because in the UK, when you go to court, uh, assume it's a criminal case, not, or, uh, not a civil case, it's you versus the Queen. <laughs> you and Regina. The second break-in was, if you could imagine it, more ridiculous than the first. This time, Fagan approached the palace a little later, about 6.45am on July the 9th. His plan should have fallen apart right away, when a policeman on street patrol spotted a disheveled drunken bloke scrambling up the palace fence. The officer radioed it in to the palace police, and, well, then he just got on with his day. Not my palace, not my problem. Apparently, everybody else was as laissez-faire about drunk men wandering the grounds as he was, because nobody at the palace followed up on the reports, not even when Michael Fagan once again strolled across the palace lawn and hauled himself up a drainpipe, not even when he tumbled through an unlocked window to the gallery of the royal stamp collection, triggering, triggering an alarm as he fell to the floor. The guards on duty instantly assumed it must have been a false alarm and switched it off. Guys... This is what happens in a bad movie, not in real life. These were no ordinary stamps either. Lizzie's stamps are estimated to be worth a combined $100 million. No way. That's crazy. How much is the queen worth? Like, 
Is she a billionaire? I mean, I know these net worth sites are kind of bullshit, but maybe they've got an idea for the queen. 600 million? 600 million dollars? Okay, roughly. Um, which makes her very poor compared to some other royal families. I met the, uh, the Prince of Liechtenstein, who's like worth billions. And that's a tiny country. Come on, queen. Get it together. Yeah, so wait. If her stamp collection is worth 100 million, she's got a sixth of her net worth in stamps. That seems like a not very balanced portfolio, to be honest, doesn't it? Fagin could have made off with a fortune in little sticky pictures of stuff, but his mission wasn't about theft. He tried doors out of the stamp museum and found them all locked, so instead he climbed back the window and continued up the drain pipe all the way to the palace roof. Why is the window to the stamp collection unlocked? <laughs> Just lock it. Keep it locked. It doesn't need fresh air. It's a stamp collection. There he decided to take off his sandals and socks, which is the part of the story that I find can find absolutely no explanation for, which means it's the one thing I'm obsessing over most. <laughs> After inexplicably and continuing on barefoot, he strolled across the roof tiles to an open window, which led to the office of Sir Peter Ashmore, ex-vice admiral and master of the household. It, you know you're pretty gangster when it's like, the person who runs your household, who I assume, like, you know, keeps everything in order, is a previous vice admiral and a knight. It's like, if I had someone around my household, they'd probably just be like, I don't know, doing my laundry, stuff like that. You know, like a, a housekeeper. They wouldn't be a vice admiral. Although I imagine this dude's not really doing any laundry. The staff of Buckingham, Buckingham Palace is probably quite extensive, isn't it? It's not like he's, he's probably, he's probably, it's like being the boss of a company or something. Thankfully for Fagin, the master wasn't in at the moment, so he was free to potter around his room as long as he pleased. While simple curiosity might have been what inspired him to go back, Fagin was also wrestling some deeper stuff at the time. In the ex-admiral's office, some darker ideas began to creep into his mind. Yes, darker than pissing in dog food. Fagin spotted a glass ashtray on the desk and decided to smash it on the floor, cutting his hand in the process. Crime just got more severe. If you breaking in and not really doing anything and don't really have the intention to do anything, different if you break in and do something it becomes burglary right it's been a long time since i studied this stuff but i know it makes it a more serious crime like maybe it went from trespassing to burglary which is like big difference he grabbed the thickest sharpest piece and stepped out into the corridor dead set on finding the bedroom of her majesty obviously fagin had no idea where in the palace to find the queen's bedroom but he knew he probably had as much time as he needed quote i was walking barefoot through the palace he'd lost his shoes on the roof as there and there was a woman doing the hoovering she didn't say anything just looked at me and must have thought i was part of the palace staff this is incredible oh yeah that's just the shoeless guy who comes in to fix the plumbing with a bloodied shard of glass again someone really has to fix the ai on these npcs without a minimap to help him <laughs> this is very very nice callum very nice fagan had to devise his own navigation system using the paintings on the walls i'm assuming by that he meant the fancy of the paintings the closer to the queen's quarters he was <laughs> it really does feel like he's playing a game doesn't it along the way he managed to trip yet another intruder alarm which was promptly deactivated by the guards after about 15 minutes of searching he found the room he was looking for partly down to dumb luck there are 700 rooms in the palace and the first one i went in was her bedroom he said even though the room was labeled as such fagin couldn't quite believe that such a normal little bedroom where would house the most powerful person in the country the nondescript brown door in no way fit his expectations of a royal bedroom no jewels or gilded frame it's the queen's bedroom fagin not donald trump's he carefully turned the handle and eased himself inside the room was small far too small for a monarch he thought but it was definitely something someone in there a curtain covered the beds but he could see the silhouette of someone lounging back against the pillows behind it again he thought it was too small for a monarch surely the queen was taller than that spoiler our minuscule monarch is a little over five three wow the queen is short i never really thought about that Yeah, she does seem short, doesn't she? How about that? Probably shrinking as well. She's really old. He crept over slowly so as not to wake whoever was sleeping there. He thought about turning back and sliding out the door again, but curiosity got the better of him. Fagin shifted the curtain to the side to take a peek. To his surprise, it was in fact the Queen. And every, even more to his surprise, she wasn't sleeping. A stunned Lizzie was sat bolt upright and looked the trespasser right in the eye. The two of them were just as startled as each other. Michael Fagin stood there with no shoes and blood dripping from his hands, and the Queen was sitting on the bed in a nightgown. Right where we left them at the beginning of the story now about that shard of, shard of glass was michael fagan planning on assassinating the queen in the style of a prison vendetta not quite 
The Shiv was meant for himself. Being in quite the dark place emotionally, Fagin planned on slashing his own wrists in front of Her Majesty. But when the moment arrived, that notion evaporated. He was stuck, like a deer in the headlights. Michael Fagin, you weirdo. It's like, what am I going to do? I'm going to kill myself in front of the Queen. Because it's like people who jump in front of cars. Or, uh you know involve or like in front of trains on the tube i'm like why why do you have to ruin someone else's day or month or year or potentially life that's going to be some ptsd right there why do you have to do that to someone else like don't kill yourself for one but then don't make someone else's life a misery those poor bloody tube drivers who should be replaced by machines but anyway they're not having a good time like just jump off a building or some shit like that <laughs> again i don't want to say like number one don't kill yourself but Look, don't involve other people in it. What the f After a few seconds, Her Majesty blurted out, What are you doing here? Which is a reasonable question when anyone breaks into your bedroom, roll or not. Fagin was dumbstruck. The Queen tried pressing the emergency bell by her bed, but her police guard on the door had clocked off at 6am, as per established protocol. According to Lizzie's own account, she even tried calling the palace police on the phone, but since she maintained her usual calm and collected demeanor, they never treated it with much urgency. Seriously, at this point, the IRA must have been kicking themselves that they never had this idea first. It's almost as if her protectors wanted something terrible to happen to her. It is amazing. It is absolutely amazing that this was possible. Amazing. With no help immediately available, Queen Elizabeth II then, as Fagan later explains, went past me and ran out of the room, her little bare feet running across the floor. That left our Goldilocks alone in the Queen's bedroom with a few spare moments to once again digest how seemingly normal and uninspiring royal life was. Quote, She never had a four-poster bed, and she's got a little thing where she does her teas and coffees, just in case you'd ever wondered about these things. So, like, in a little hotel. <laughs> so weird. You're the queen. Just be like, bring me coffee. Ah. At least this time, Michael Fagan wouldn't have to search for someone to turn himself into. The queen had finally managed to summon some help, and they were on their way back to apprehend the intruder. Had this story unfolded over the other side of the Atlantic, a dozen Secret Service agents would have swarmed into the room and blasted a couple hundred rounds into our kindly drunk. Yeah, he would have been destroyed. <laughs> Absolutely destroyed. But in Britain, we do things a little less cinematic than that. More Downton Abbey than White House Down. Yes, jolly good old chap. Without a police guard, the Queen's only line of defense against killers and kidnappers was a polite manservant and a few fat little Welsh dogs. As she ran down the corridor, Elizabeth's head footman was just returning from walking the corgis. She took the dogs off his hands and sent him in to deal with Fagan. <laughs> There's a man in there, go deal with him. What was his name? They don't say. I'm going to imagine his name is James. Go in there and deal with him, James. As our intruder tells it. Then a footman comes in and goes, Go f***ing hell, mate. Looks like you need a drink. <laughs> Surely this Fagan guy's making some of the shit up. I know he's probably under oath in court and this is all like testimony. But this feels, it honestly does feel made up, doesn't it? I feel like if Callum had written this for me and it was April, like coming up on April, and it'd be like, Simon, by the way, that one I wrote for you is just completely made up. I'd be like, well, well played, Callum. You forced me into, you know, an April Fool's prank. This gen genuinely feels as if it could be that one. I mean, I also know because I talked about it before in another video that it's real. But it feels like it, doesn't it? It does feel like it. And now, a quick word from one of our fantastic sponsors. Today, it's Quip. Yes, this time of year. Oh, look, it's the most magical time of the year. Christmas is here, which is great news, except for your mouth. Because I don't know about you, but I eat way too much chocolate, too many sweets, all that kind of stuff. What do you Americans have? Candy canes? Yeah, we're consuming all of that stuff, which is wonderful, except for our poor teeth, which then get covered in sugar and rot and die. I'm a little off the talking points here. But, of course, oral care is super important, and that is where Quip come in. Yes, the Quip electric toothbrush is loved by how many people? This is a lot. Over 7 million mouths? That's an extraordinarily large number of people. I feel like that's not a small percentage of, like, the world's population. That's amazing. Well done, Quip. Timed sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses to guide you to a dentist-recommended two-minute clean. And they've been recommending that two minutes forever. So you kind of know it's legit, because it's been around forever. I do my teeth in quadrants. Bottom left, bottom right, top left, top right. Boom, 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 boom. And Quip helps me do it with those 30-second pulses. Easy. It's lightweight. It's sleek. For adults and kids, uh, my kids are too young. I still have to brush their teeth myself with these little baby toothbrushes which honestly is a pain in the ass and i'm looking forward to when i can give them a quip and be like do it your bloody self <laughs> reusable handles in a range of sleek metal hues including the best-selling all black and all pink 
I just have a black one. Uh, I don't. I don't have the pink one. If I got my wife one, I'd get her a pink one. Hey, Quip, you want to send my wife one? She'd love that. If you're already keeping your mouth in tip-top shape, why not earn rewards while you're at it? Oh yeah, you can upgrade to then use Smart Motor. And what does that allow you to do? Track and improve your brushing with a free Quip app and earn amazing rewards like free refills, products, Target gift cards, and more. I mean, I feel like that's just getting rewarding you for something you have to do anyway. So that's a win-win. And if you're one of those people who doesn't brush their teeth twice a day, well, get a Quip and then you'll probably start because they'll reward you for doing it. Plus, uh, lots of other products. Floss string that expands to clean, reusable floss picks. Fantastic. How many? Those replace over 180 disposable picks. And also, disposable picks kind of suck because they're like, I don't know, they're disposable, so they fall apart. The worst thing is where you get one of those little wood splinters from a toothpick in your mouth. Don't do any of that stuff. Look, if you go to getquip.com slash casual right now, on top of their holiday savings, you'll get your first refill for free. That's your first refill for free and up to 40% off bundles at getquip.com slash casual. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash casual. Thank you, Quip, the Good Habits Company. And now, back to today's podcast. The Aftermath. I feel like the aftermath section is beginning like uh, two-thirds of the way through the script today. That footman could teach a masterclass on de-escalation. Offer a drunk guy a whiskey and he'll be your best mate. And I'm happy to tell you, he did get that drink. Quote, His name was Paul Wybrew, which is a funny name for someone offering you a drink, innit? He took me to the Queen's Pantry across the landing, where I presume she cooks her baked beans and toast and whatever, and takes a bottle of famous grouse. I was shocked. That's the best you got. That's what the Queen's bedroom has next to it. Famous grouse. Really. It's like 10 quid a bottle. <laughs> I imagine if we take it out, oh, it's a nice bottle of like 20-year-old Lafroy. No, 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 no. Famous grouse. <laughs> so what the f- Maybe it was a cheap Californian, although this is from his his mouth, so yeah, we never know. Another pair of devastating blows to the royals that the unemployed bloke from Islington thought their bedrooms and whiskey were a bit shit as well. Uh, it is famous grouse, though. It is a bit after a few more swigs of grouse and a chat with a footman, two comically inept palace officials uh, officers arrived to carry out the formalities. I don't think they'd arrested anyone for years. When one pulled out his notebook, the other was so relieved that he had it. I think they were just old boys who stood on the gate and let cars in. It was a cushy retirement job. One of the two old bobbies remembers how to use handcuffs and they took Fagan into custody and led him off the premises. He never did get to say goodbye to old Lizzie. Once he was at the police station, that's when some, the somewhat confusing part began. See, you'd expect the breaking into the Queen's bedroom with a stabbing implement would be a pretty serious offence. I don't think so. He's got no intent. He's got intent to harm himself, which isn't intent to harm her, intent to harm someone else. I think it's burglary is probably the crime here. I'm not sure, though. However, when the cops began to try and figure out what to charge Michael Fagan with later that morning, they concluded that he hadn't actually committed any criminal offences at all. Rather than breaking and entering, his little excursion legally fell under the less severe charge of trespassing. At the time, this was only a civil offence, so Fagan was never actually charged with a crime. Wait, trespassing is not a civil offence anymore? That's it, because like, there's those famous signs, you know, saying trespassers will be prosecuted, and it's like, it's impossible, or apparently it's maybe now a crime, but because it, it's like trespassing is not a crime, it's a civil offense. So it's like, you could say trespassers will be sued, but it has like less of a, less of a ring to it, doesn't it? At least in Britain, I don't know how this works anywhere else, and apparently it might not be a crime, because Callum says at the time, fascinating, I'm not going to look it up because I don't care that much. I'm not planning on doing any trespassing. Well, I lied a little bit after confessing to the first break-in and appearing at the Old Bailey. They did actually charge him with theft for drinking Prince Charles's wine, which seems extremely petty compared to what I was expecting. In the end, even that charge was dropped when Michael was admitted for long overdue psychiatric evaluation and ended up spending three months in a secure mental health facility. See, I thought, but maybe because he didn't break in, he just... I thought if you trespassed and then broke something, that was burglary, but I must be getting something wrong. While Michael was working through his mental breakdown in a more controlled and secure manner, the media was doing the opposite, absolutely losing their minds over his story. Michael was dubbed the palace prowler, and the public couldn't quite agree on whether he was a dangerous traitor or an absolute legend. He's, he's not a dangerous traitor, other than being dangerous to himself. He's just a bit of a mad lad. He's, not, he's also not an absolute legend. He's a bit of a legend. There's definitely legendary elements to his tale. I mean... And you have to ask me, I am the arbiter of legendariness. So that's where I'll say, bit of a legend. Not absolute legend, just a bit of a legend. His own father reportedly suffered a heart attack from the stress of being hounded by the media. Yeah, but the media, it's not like you're, you know, 
you're not getting prince you're not getting hounded by the media in the way that prince andrew gets hounded by the media you're getting hounded by the media being like tell us about your absolute crazy legend son After his release, Fagan was bombarded with interview requests from the tabloids who were desperate for all the sordid details of his visit. Which royal couples slept in different beds? What kind of nightie did Her Majesty wear? The answer was, I tried to keep it sterile and she said she was wearing a liberty print nightie down to her knees, even though I didn't notice what it was. I don't know what a liberty print nightie is. And what does he mean by keeping it sterile? That's the most confusing quote I've read. Ever. While the papers were getting to the heart of the really important questions, others were concerned with more frivolous things, like how could some random guy have casually broken into the home of the British monarchy twice and gotten within feet of one of the most powerful people in the world? The answer, as you already know, is incompetency. Despite multiple sightings and multiple alarms, nobody could really be bothered following up on any of it. Apparently, they were all under the impression that it was God's job to save the Queen, which let all of them off the hook. Ah, that's a reference to our national anthem, God Save the Queen. Clever, Callum, clever. Then Home Secretary William Whitelaw even offered to resign over the affair, but the Queen told him there was no need. The same probably can't be said for some of the palace police officers, although history doesn't spare a footnote for what became of them. I imagine a few of them are still chained up in the palace dungeons of this day. I was going to make a dungeon joke. They're like at the Tower of London. <laughs> they had their heads chopped off. While no doubt some lost careers over this farce, Michael Fagan actually gained one. He enjoyed several years as fame as the guy who broke into the palace, which is enough to fill about half a decade of your schedule with media appearances. In 1983, even sang vocals on a cover version of the Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen, by punk outfit the uh, Bollock Brothers, creatively named. I, they are a punk outfit, so uh, it's... I, I, the Sex Pistols. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> when listening to Mr. Fagan's version of that anti-establishment classic, I couldn't help noticing that they'd toned down the lyrics a bit. It's kind of like a kids' bop version of the original. For example, when Johnny Rotten sings "God Save the Queen," she's not a human being. Our man Fagan mutters, "God Save the Queen." A lovely human being. I wouldn't say he's watered them down. Or oh, what did he say? Turned it into a kid's bop. Ah, that's, that's kind of fair. Yeah, he's completely changed the meaning of the song. The Sex Pistols, you know, I guess they're conspiracy theorists. They think the Queen's a lizard. That's such a crazy one. There's so many crazy conspiracy theories. And, uh, and Kate, did I mention it already? Am I plugging the same show twice in one episode? But Decoding the Unknown, my podcast, we talk about all sorts of stuff like that. Kind of defeats the whole punk thing, but it seems like Fagan just couldn't bring himself to say such horrible things about his good pal Lizzie. By all accounts, he was actually quite a big fan of the royals and never intended to do them any harm. In the end, his image as a lovable, naive drunkard helped dispel a lot of the hate that came his way in the media. No, you can't hate this guy. He's just a bit of a legend. He's just having a laugh. Why would anyone hate him? His own mother told the papers shortly after his arrest, He thinks so much of the Queen. I can imagine him just wanting to simply talk and say hello and discuss his problems. His father added, I think he would have put the Queen at ease straight away. He could smooth talk anyone. It does seem, he does seem very, like, cool, doesn't he? He, I mean, he spun this into him being a legend somehow. How sweet. I mean, if we can look past the whole ashtray suicide attempt thing. And quite importantly, after a mistaken report in the New York Times shortly after the security breach, this basically became the accepted version of events. Papers reported that Fagan and the Queen chatted about life while she waited for help to arrive. You're actually more likely to find that twisted version of events online than our one, lifted straight from the horse's mouth. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I feel like the video I made previously, we also got the facts right and not had them chat about life feel like i'm correct on that i like to think i'm correct on that hopefully fingers crossed someone's probably dug it out and pointed in the comments ah back boy you think you're so smart you're not so smart i don't give a which is why we know fagan there wasn't there for royal therapy in fact when quizzed on his motivations the uh, 30 years later during a 2012 interview the independent uh, with the independent he revealed a little detail that paints the whole thing in an even more mental light the reason he thought breaking into buckingham palace would be a good idea was drugs copious amounts of lovely lovely drugs see about five months before the incident michael had fried his head with a massive dose of magic mushroom soup quote i forgot you're only supposed to take a little handful two years later i was still coming down i was high on mushrooms for a long, long time. The prophecy is true. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> I bet at the start. All right. I, I mean, it's it's your decision. <laughs> but don't don't take insane amounts of magic mushrooms.
I bet at the start of this episode you thought this was about an actual assassination attempt or something. Nah, man, he was just off his face on shrooms, which I admit probably means he is the most the most reliable narrator. Some details of the story drift but di- drift between retellings. But I'll stand by his version of events nonetheless. After all, the man deserves a certain level of respect. No matter what mad stuff any of you have done in a while, I bet it's nowhere near breaking into Buckingham Palace level. That's some historic tier stuff. Yes, it is, Callum, and I fully agree. And that absolutely feels like the end of the episode, except it's not because there are several more pages to go. So let's do it. Where is he now? The tale of Fagin's royal connection party pretty much ends there. However, the epilogue to his story is every bit as entertaining. The palace prowler's semi-permanent trip wore off at about the same time as his fame. Once his name had become little more than a pub quiz trivia question, newspaper appearances were limited to key anniversaries of the break-in or the few other times he found himself in legal trouble. Such as the time in 1984 when he served a three-month suspended sentence for assaulting a policeman at a cafe in Fishguard, Wales, or three years later when a woman reported him running around on a patch of waste grounds near a London reservoir with no trousers and a huge erection. (laughs) Say what you like. The man has lived. <laughs> In Fagan's defense, he, what are you doing running around a reservoir with a massive erection, Michael? Shit, son. Damn. In Fagan's defense, he argues that the second one was a misunderstanding. He says he was smoking weed and fishing with his mates and took off his trousers to retrieve a net from the water. As for the erection accusations, he pleads full flaccidity, saying, This woman can't have been from this planet. Her husband must be like that. And he holds up a thumb and forefinger a tiny distance apart. Ah. Innocent misunderstanding happens to the best of us. That sounds like a tale that your lawyer spins because, I mean, honestly, it just sounds like a meth adventure, doesn't it? Like, you're just on meth. Just be like, ah, sorry, I wasn't fishing with my mates. I was just on meth. It's a hell of a drug, isn't it? Innocent misunderstanding happens to the best of us. And from what I can tell, it was cleared up without any criminal conviction. However, the same can't be said of his 1997 brush with the law. That year, Michael and his ex-wife, yes, they reunited years after his royal break-ins, were arrested along with their son, for dealing heroin holy <laughs> it's like what are you doing yeah i'm dealing heroin with my ex-wife and son don't do that okay. don't do don't deal drugs with your family we'll add that to the list of rules don't involve your family in your crimes if you want to deal heroin do it yourself or just don't don't deal heroin okay he claimed some of his customers were important people. One was a company director, the son of a lord. They were all business people, and they liked coming to me. Definitely another story in there, Mr. Fagan. If by any chance you're listening, I'd be honored to write your tell-all biography someday. That sounds like a legal minefield, though, Callum, to be honest. After the judge read out his four-year sentence for conspiracy, conspiracy to supply, Fagan smiled at him from the dark and said, Have a nice Christmas. That was the last time our drugged-up anti-hero was ever sent behind bars. His life after release has been relatively quiet, still living in London and dishing out the odd interview to the papers every now and then. His most recent was in 2020 with Emily Duggan from The Independent, who met him in his natural environment. Sitting in a Weatherspoons bar. <laughs> Brilliant. Weatherspoons, uh, for our international listeners, is a very cheap pub. It's like, they're all very large, they're all very the same. Uh very popular with students i drank there a lot as a student they have a ridiculously large selection of beers which is really nice and i think about it now and i'm like yeah i'd go to where they have tons of stuff the food is rubbish though which is uh, unfortunate but there's tons of good beer and beers to choose from so that's a that's the thing about a weatherspoons but they are a bit rough and they're cheap did i mention they're very cheap <laughs> sitting in a weatherspoons pub sporting sock sandals and an oversized parker and a winter hat with ear flaps a contender for the title of britain's most embarrassing grandpa good to see the then 72 year olds when was this is he still alive 2020 oh yeah he's definitely still alive i mean he's like 73 now uh 72 year old back up on his feet after a double whammy of a heart attack and covid 19. he's doing well thanks to his kids grandkids and a new partner of 17 years so new partner 17 years okay after seeing the way the chirpy pensioner sprang up and down on his seat duggan asked him if he was still doing drugs well into his old age he replied with a quick sniff and a cheeky grin sounds like the old boy might have one last run at the palace left in him for old time's sake wrap up and that brings us to the end of today's episode a sensational security breach that could have been a hell of a lot bloodier had and had another intruder got there first a tale of one man's single-minded drugged up noble mission to potter around a palace in a crime of the century which in the end turned out to not really be a crime at all wait 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 wait, wait. did we just make a casual criminalist video 
which doesn't have a crime in it. I mean, other than his later crime of dealing heroin with his family. That's amazing. I like it. It'll probably get less views because every time I put like the cannibalist murderous disappearance of insert young woman's name here, it's like 200,000 views, baby. <laughs> well, with this, it's like way less. If the story of Michael Fagan has inspired you at home to do a little bit of drunken trespassing at Buckingham Palace or another cultural site of your choosing, please be aware that we live in a very different era now. You'll almost definitely get shot. First of all, it's now a criminal offence to hop that fence. And second, the powers that be finally implemented some stricter measures to, to protect the Queen from knife-wielding intruders in the mid-80s. Because, unsurprisingly, Fagan wasn't the only one in that era, he was just the most famous. The year before he got inside, a couple of German tourists hopped the fence thinking it led to Hyde Park. Two months later, a young man was found wandering the grounds and taken in for psychiatric Care. Then the same year as Fagan, a 25-year-old guy, flashed a knife in his coat pocket to scare off a couple of guards and then strolled inside. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Rubbish guards. The way Michael Fagan sees it, he did the royal household a favor by giving them their biggest scare of all and highlighting how lax their protocols were. He certainly did. I'd say that's absolutely legit criticism. Who knows how differently British history might have gone down if it weren't for this quirky little episode. If you're still determined to give it a go yourself, which we do not condone, you'll need a lot more than just a couple of cans of lager and a pair of brass balls. Brackingham Palace Security have added a couple of motion sensor beams, extra barriers, personal alarm systems, CCTV, and robot butlers with Gatling guns built into their arms. Citation needed. Okay, so that last one's definitely not true, but it would be awesome. So in a very roundabout way, perhaps all the royalists of Britain have this one drugged-up trespasser to thank for safeguarding their beloved monarch's superhuman longevity. And long may it continue. Fagan told The Independent last year, quote, I hope she lives to be a hundred. If she does, I'll send her a hundredth birthday telegram. We hope the same for you, Mr. Fagan. God save our palace prowler. Dismembered Appendices Number 1 if you'll prefer a horribly inaccurate sentimental version of this mad story, look no further than the Netflix drama The Crown. In season four of the sugar-coated royal biopic series, they tell the story of how Michael Fagan, incensed with the injustices of Thatcher's Britain, resolved to take his complaints to the very top and had a heartfelt ten-minute conversation with Lizzie about hungry kids and human dignity. Not a single mention of magic mushrooms in the whole thing. Ugh, it's such bull****. <laughs> like, it's an interesting enough story. Why do you have to make it? extra Hollywood. Fagan himself called it a lot of rubbish and of the actor Tom Brook who played him, I'm actually better looking and he seems totally charmless. Number two. There's one last loose end to type before we finish. What happened to the sandals? Are they still up there on the roof as a reminder of that fateful day? No. In fact, two years after the break-in, Fagan received a package from the palace staff containing the discarded sandals and socks, freshly laundered and pressed. Happy endings all around. Is that true? <laughs> they did just throw it away? It's kind of amazing. Good for you, Buckingham Palace staff. This has been an episode of The Casual Criminalist. As always, I sure hope you liked it, even though there wasn't really any crime in this one. Other than, as I said, dealing heroin with your family, which, well, that's a crime. Can't believe it only got three years in prison for that, for dealing heroin. I thought that was kind of like a 20-year sort of thing. In America, it'd be like they'd have given him the bloody chair. Uh, thank you so much for watching or listening. If you are watching, make sure you've liked this video. Apparently, the dislike button doesn't do anything anymore. So uh, that's brilliant. You can't dislike it, which I guess is good for me. So smash that like button. Uh, subscribe. If you're uh, on podcast, please leave me a review. That would be amazing. Apparently, it makes this podcast do better in charts and stuff, which gets in front of more people, which is nice. I like that. It warms my heart. And uh, thank you for listening or watching. And I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.